want to say we have a wonderful audience this evening. We're glad that you're here, especially our visitors. We want you to know that you're welcome here, and we want you to feel at home and come back and visit with us every opportunity that you have to worship with us. We're continuing our, actually we're completing our series uh, on elders and deacons. We're kind of going to sum up some of the thoughts that we've mentioned uh, this month. We've talked about the qualities of an elder and the work of an eldership, the qualities of deacons and the work of deacons. And tonight we're kind of going to just sum up some of these things as we finish this series. And uh, we appreciate your attention during these teachings. We appreciate your prayer and your study on the things that we've presented. And we solicit your continued prayers, and we also beg that you continue to study as we go forward from here. Uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the procedure that we'll go through here in a minute uh, in, this, in the coming meeting, and uh, that we'll have a better understanding of how things are going to be, to be done. But for a few things I want to mention, though, as we began tonight and thinking about elders and, and deacons in the church, you know, Paul writes to the church at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons and the members. And surely he was writing to a church that was fully formed. And today we, we are privileged to have elders and deacons in this congregation and we pray and we study and we hope that there's a continuation of good leadership in this church for many years to come. And that's why we study these things. That's why we go through this process so that there's a continued uh, quality leadership uh, as we go through the years to come. Tonight as we begin, though, I want to mention that it's the Lord's will for the church that especially that they have elders. It's the Lord's will. I don't know, there are, there's an idea in, in, uh, in the world today, and especially in some of the churches, that, well, we can function uh, as a church without elders. And maybe we can to some degree, but not efficiently and according to God's will without elders. I believe it is God's will that we have elders. And as we look in Ephesians chapter 4, Beginning in verse 10, it says, He that descended is the same also that ascended far up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. That's talking about Jesus who descended in his resurrection, or after his death into the tomb, and now he is resurrected far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now notice what it says about Jesus. And he, Jesus, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And I know there are a lot of different ideas that we have about elders, and some say, well, I don't want to be subject to elders, and some say, well, they're just bosses that tell people what to do. But Jesus said elders in the church so that the, the work of the ministry by the saints would be accomplished. I was trying to think of a good illustration of this. You know, a lot of times we, uh, we say, well, the preacher's going to do it, or the elders are going to do it, or the deacons will do it. 
The work is for you, the saints. You are the ones to be working. You're the ones in the community. You're the ones talking to your friends and studying with them so that the church would grow. Elders and deacons provide an environment that you can efficiently do that work. I think about the Lord and how he is the great shepherd over a flock of sheep. You know, the sheep grow the wool. The sheep eat the grass. They do the work of a sheep. The shepherd provides for those sheep that the sheep can do the work. He makes sure they have food. He protects them from the enemy. He mends them when they're sick. That's what elders do so that the sheep can do the work. And it's no different with the church. Elders and deacons provide an environment and help so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. <clears throat> it's God's will that the church have elders. Pastors here is the word used for elders in the church. It's God's will. He gave it as a gift to the church, as a help to the church. Now then, as you go through the New Testament, uh, you know, a lot of times the question comes out, how do we choose these people and what's the process? And I just want to mention a few things this evening. Uh, I believe there's a pattern of choosing. Uh, when you look through the Bible, there were men chosen for a lot of different things. And when you look at the pattern of how these men were chosen on these, some were chosen as elders, some as uh, deliverers of a message. It involved uh, uh, multiple things. It involved partly the congregation. It involved uh, men who had some authority to ordain that or to, to consecrate that in some way. In Acts 6, beginning in verse 1, as the seven were chosen there, it says, uh, these seven men were chosen by the people and saying, the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and, and Timon and um, Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And in verse five, it says, then the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. It pleased the multitude. In other words, the apostles said, I want y'all to pick out these men and that pleased the congregation because they had a say in these men that would serve them. And then these apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. This laying on of hands was a proclamation or a declaration or an appointment of these seven men. They were recognized by the apostles that these were the men the congregation set apart. It didn't raise them to a holier-than-thou appointment but it did separate them out so that the people could recognize these are the men that are over this business. In Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, uh, it talks about the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost chooses Barnabas and Saul out of, the, out of the teachers and prophets in Antioch. Notice what it says. Now they were in the church that was Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manion, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. 
So the Holy Ghost calls for these two men, and they were separated from the other teachers, and the apostles uh, prayed for them and laid their hands on them and sent these men to do that work. There was an appointment or an ordination, if you will, of these men recognized to do this specific work. There is something that, that differentiates a person from a member to one of these offices in the church. It doesn't have to be some great miraculous event, but a simple appointment. And that's when we talk about ordaining elders and, and deacons. That's what we're talking about, a simple appointment that recognizes these men for the task that they have been separated out for or chosen to participate. In Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse 5, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but it talks about the apostles and the elders and the whole church participated in sending Judas for Sabbath and Silas to Antioch. And then in verse 22, it says, and it pleased, uh, then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Bersabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. So these men were chosen. They were set apart. They were chosen by the, the church, the whole church. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders. And so there was a recognition of these men by the congregation that we want to send these men to do this work, to set them apart from others. And the apostles approved it, and the elders of the church approved it, and these men were sent to do that work. Now then, as we talk about ordaining elders and deacons, there's a pattern that we use in picking or choosing men from the congregation. There will be a time for you as the congregation to voice your opinion. And we have a sheet of paper on the back table for the members that you can sign up for a time that when the evangelists come, you can voice your opinion about men who, who may be qualified for these appointments. And then there will come a time when the elders will meet with the evangelists and we will discuss names appointment, the names that were uh, on the, the choosing. And then there will be an ordination if men are chosen. And so there is a process in which the whole congregation the evangelists who have been given a charge to do that work and the elders of the church will have a say in this. And I want to talk about the process that we will go through just briefly. And we've spent the month of January studying and teaching on the subject of elders and deacons and the qualities and the work of these offices in the church. And then we're setting aside most of February up to the meeting for prayer and study and we encourage you and plead with you to study these subjects. Don't stop just because we have preached those things, but open your Bible and meditate and pray about these things. Study on these subjects, these things that, we have, that we've talked about. We've sent out uh, papers that have the qualities listed on them so that you can have them separated out already, and you can think about men in the congregation and their wives that, that would be qualified for these offices. It gives you something for personal study so that you can have it before your eyes. And then uh, we will have evangelists here, Brother uh, Ty Fleming and Sean Zebach will be here. 
and they will start a meeting on the 21st, February 21st, and they will preach through Sunday, a weekend meeting. But during that time, we will start interviews, and they will, they will take appointments and, and interview the congregation so that the congregation will have a say in men appointments, or these appointments. On the 26th, the evangelists will confer with the eldership regarding their findings. If there are men qualified, we will proceed further. If they're not, uh, if they're not men that are qualified, then we will, uh, we will determine to set another date, some point in the future, and work towards, towards that. That's our goal, to always have leadership qualified so that the church can continue for many years. If there are men who are uh, found to be fit these qualifications, um, those candidates upon their, upon their approval will be announced Wednesday, uh, February 26th at the Wednesday service, and those names will also be sent out by email uh, to the church email. So we will make those names known. Then following that announcement on Wednesday, uh, the congregation may confer with the evangelists for any scriptural objections on Thursday and the 27th and Friday the 28th. So we will have a couple of days that if you have a scriptural objection to the men that were named, then you can confer with the evangelist that will be here regarding that. That cutoff time will be at 7 p.m. on the 28th. After 7 p.m., there will be no more, no more complaints. <laughs> you, <laughs> if you don't do it before 7, there won't. That's it. Those candidates uh, then that are approved, we will set an ordination for March the 1st, and our 2:30 afternoon service will be an ordination service. And that's the plan that we have uh, at this point. So we have plenty of time to study and to pray and to meditate regarding the things that we've studied and to ask God's favor upon this procedure and that we will have qualified men to take these offices that are willing to take these offices and serve the congregation. Now then, as we go through this process, we've mentioned we've invited these evangelists in to come and do this. And several reasons we could say that's why we, we call in men from the outside to cut off, cut out any partiality, uh, to, to not give any appearance of that. These men will come in from the outside and interview the congregation. But I want you to know that when they do that, they are under a solemn charge of God. That when they come in to do this, this is very serious for them as evangelists. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 21 through 22, it says, I charge thee, and he's, Paul's talking to Timothy, evangelist, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another, one before another, doing nothing by partiality, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. And so they're given a solemn charge before God, before the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels, the heavenly authorities. That's a serious charge for these men. 
And so when they come in, they're, they're not to play politics. They're not to, to go, okay, there's a faction in the church that we're going to submit to, or we're going to, they're, they're to interview the congregation, and they're to compare uh, the qualities to the scriptures, and then they are to make a decision about what they find. They're charged before God to do this, and then lay hands suddenly on no man. In other words, they're not going to come into the congregation and just go, well, I appoint you, and I appoint you elder, or I appoint you deacon. They're not going to do that. There's a process that they will go through, that they will interview the congregation, they will look at the man that has been chosen or, or picked by the congregation, and they will compare him to the scripture to make sure that he fits the picture that God has given for elders and deacons. And I mention a picture. When you read the qualities of an elder and the qualities of a deacon, what you're reading is a word picture of a man. These evangelists were to go into these congregations and they were to take that word that God had given them with the qualities that he had laid out and he was to look at the man and see, does he fit the picture? And that's what we need to do as we evaluate members in our congregation. We need to say, does this man fit the picture? And I believe there's a summation of the picture that we can read in Hebrews 13, verse 7. And what I mean by that is when it's all put together, this is the summation of the man that we would pick as an elder. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or manner of life. You consider their manner of life, their walk with Christ. And ask the question, can I follow that man? Is that the kind of man that's walking with Christ and I can follow his example? And I know we need to follow Jesus Christ at all times, but hopefully we'll have men that are following Jesus that we can see physically go, I can follow that man. That's a leader. That's an elder, one who leads. And a leader is one who is followed. One who their congregation can say, that man is a godly man. That man is one that I can walk in his example. And so when you put all of these words together, these descriptions that are given to us in the scripture, that's the picture of a man who we can follow. That's the man we need in the eldership. And likewise, as the Bible says, we need deacons that look like the descriptions that are given in the scripture. It's the picture of a man. In Acts 6 verse 3, I think, is the summation of all of the qualities that are given of a deacon. And it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So deacons are men who are honest, who fit these, these qualifications that are given or these qualities that are given in the Scripture. They're blameless, have faithful wives, they're pure conscience, they're not greedy, and so on. They're grave in their work because we can put these men, these trustworthy men, over the work that needs to be done in the church, and we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about 
where the money's going because we know that a deacon will take care of it. We don't have to worry about the building falling down because the deacons will take care of it. We don't have to worry about someone in the congregation being served because the deacons are about their work. And this is the kind of men that we need in the deaconship. And so when you read the qualities, meditate on them, study them, look at the sheet of paper that we've, that we've emailed so that you can have it in front of you and compare a man to the qualities and say, is this a man who we can put over the church business? I believe that's what God requires. That's what God wants. And we need to understand that's what the qualities are for, to give you a picture of someone to do the work. Too many times in years past, we've used the qualities as disqualities. We look at the qualifications and we go, this disqualifies someone. Those are qualities. Those are qualifications. Does the man fit those qualifications? We're hunting. We're looking. We're praying for men that fit these qualifications. The rest of my time, I told Carrie I'd save him a few minutes at the end. So, <laughs> so I'm going to turn the service over to, to Brother Carrie at this time. I'd like to thank Craig for his thoughts of the evening. I want to uh, continue to build on this picture of a man that we see in the scriptures that would be one that we would consider for leadership. And as we do that, I want to provide some hopefully very practical advice to you and some thoughts that have come to mind. We've talked a lot about the qualifications, and please don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to take away or add to the qualifications in any way whatsoever. Those are first and foremost, but some things have come to my mind as far as practical, personal advice that I think is biblical that I would like to share with you, and, and hopefully that will help you And as we go along and make those decisions. You know, we've been, been presented a lot of good information this month, and you may still be wondering, well, what do I do with all this? There's a lot of info that's been poured on me, and I, I really don't know. I've heard statements, and people have come up to me and said, I wish you'd just tell me who to choose or statements like that, or, you know, I want to choose someone who is a godly man and someone who God wants me to choose. How do I do that? And I want to, to do the same thing. Me too. That's exactly what I want. We want to choose the right people and someone who God wants in that position. So how are we going to go about doing that? And I believe that's why, or how, why God has given us the guidelines. He's given us the qualifications that we've studied and talked about this past month, and I hope you've been blessed by that. I've been blessed by the studies. I appreciate everyone's effort and, and uh, the work that they put into the sermons and lessons regarding God's Word regarding those subjects. So thank you very much for that. Now, I think God will bless us greatly when we look to His Word and we look to those qualifications, and we prayerfully look to Him and ask Him um, and seek His advice and seek His will and His Word, that that will work out for us. And God will bless us in that. But we've got to seek His will and not our own. His will and His desire. Look, I know and realize this is not an easy decision. I realize that this is stressful in, in many situations and in many ways. And maybe it's stressful for us because maybe we don't know the qualifications well enough. Maybe it's stressful for us because we don't know people well enough. We don't know each other well enough. 
So that's something I want to talk about tonight. And I recognize that there's no way that we can 100% know everything about everyone in the building. And our, we must use our best Bible-based judgment about and upon a person as we make this decision. And it's a very important and biblical exercise, as Craig mentioned, as we go through this. It's the Lord's will, and it's necessary that we have leadership in the church. We each have a huge personal interest and personal stake in making that decision. You know, we want the good, godly person that's going to be a great leader over us that will be good for the church, will be good for each and every person's benefit. And that's our will, and, and that's the Lord's will. There's something I think we need to recognize and remember, too. This is not a popularity contest. This isn't trying out for high school cheerleader. This isn't trying out for, um, you know, senior class president. This isn't a popularity contest in any way what, or form. So it's not based on things like, you know, he is such a good guy. He's just a good fella. I just love him. He's a good old boy. Or I love his wife. Man, she is so special and a great friend to me. His kids are so cute. You know, I just love this guy. We ought to put him in office. It's not based on any of those type of things in, as, in themselves. So it's also not based on perfection or sinlessness. You know, we can be so critical at times that, that no one will ever be qualified when I put my own criticality to it. And I, I got to put aside my own personal thoughts in, in several different ways. For example, you know, maybe someone is is bringing up their children in, in a way that I, you know, that's just not the way I do it. That's not my personal preference. That's not the way that, that we've done it in my house. But I need to look at the end goal and what's going on. Do they have a children that are in submission to them, that are obeying them, that are learning about God in their home? You see, even though it's not my personal preference or I think my way might be better, that's not a qualification that I need to stick on someone else. If you were to ask me, and that's what I'm trying to do, make this practical and personal tonight. If you were to ask me how I'm going to pick a man for leadership, how am I going to go about that? Me personally, how am I going to do that? Again, first and foremost, look at those qualifications that we've talked about and the duties that we've talked about this month and all those um, studies are, are available to you and the PowerPoints, all this can be made available if you want to look at that some more. And we encourage you, as Craig said, to study this out further. Study that list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Study these qualifications. So first and foremost, I'm going to put a man that has these qualities, the picture of the man that we're talking about here. So let's talk about this practical application for just a minute. Who do I choose? How am I going to go about choosing this person? And to get our, our mind kind of geared in that direction, I want to bring up maybe a goofy example, but I think there's a lot of application to us that will help us to get our mind thinking in that direction. And that is picking out a hunting dog. Okay, okay, go with it. <laughs> Let's, let me tell you some things about picking out a hunting dog. So, okay, I've done some research. I've looked at the qualifications, the pedigree, the genetics of maybe of these animals and you know, I go and look at this, this litter of animals, and I think, you know, they're all cute. They all look pretty well. They're puppies. They look beautiful. They're great. I like them all. So how am I going to choose between which one? I want to choose the very best one out of the litter, the very best one. And how am I going to go about doing that? Well, I'm going to do some things like, 
as I look at them, I'm going to look at their demeanor, demeanor and temperance. Is there one that barks a lot? I don't want him. <laughs> Is there one that's, um, you know, how do they act and how do they respond to the other littermates? Is there one that's overly aggressive, you know, biting and maybe hurting some of the others? Is there one that's very passive and off to the side? Well, I'm probably not going to pick either one of those. I'm going to pick something in the middle, aren't I? I'm going to pick something in the middle. How does he respond to pressure? So how does this pup respond as I go and pick him up? Is he just wiggling and trying to get away? And as I exert a little more pressure, does he, is it, does he become still like I want him to? Or does he continue to, to wiggle around? You see, how does he respond to that way? And finally, I will look at this pup and see his structure and what he actually looks like. I'll look at his eyes and his ears and his teeth and make sure his shoulders are good. And look at all these different aspects of the animal. And that's kind of compared to what we're doing. We're looking at all the different aspects of a man and his character and his way of life. And that's how we choose a man, how we come up with that. So that's kind of what I want to talk about as far as some of our practical ways that we would go about doing this. So let's talk about, I know this print is small and I'm sorry for that. But as we talk about, okay, Carrie, how are you going to choose a man? Or what's some of the things that you're going to look at beyond the qualifications maybe? or uh, along with the qualifications, I should say. Well, I'm going to look at a man and say, oh, I'm going to choose this guy because he's discreet. I can trust him and have confidence in him and his wife that he won't share some personal information that I don't want shared with other people. I've asked him to keep this confidential, and if I don't trust him or I have a history with him that he's told some things on me before that I didn't want him to tell other people, that might not be one of the guys I choose, right? It might not be one of the people... I want one that will help me through the questions that I might have. I might bring a question to him, and he might know, not know the answer at some certain time. But I trust him that he will follow up, and he'll follow through. That he'll go and find that answer, and he'll get back with me and not just forget it and brush it aside and not care about that. I want to think about a man who's meek and humble, but he's also very powerful and courageous. You know, I've... I've I, if a person is filled with pride and arrogance, you know what the Bible says is the next thing that comes to that guy. Pride and arrogance come before what? They come before a fall. This guy's set up for a fall and it's ruined many great and mighty men. So we don't want someone who's filled with pride and filled with arrogance, but one who is courageous and powerful, one who will um, not constantly seek after praise and recognition. He's not looking for that. He's just looking to serve and help his fellow man. A man who's caring, but he's firm when he needs to be. I think of the picture of a father. Think about your dad. He loves and he cares for you, and he wants what is best for you. But in conjunction with that, he's going to tell you when you're messing up, when you need to be disciplined, when you need to be dealt with firmly. My dad is going to do that. I need someone who's going to tell me when I'm messing up. I need to change my path and change my direction. And we're looking for a man who would do that. How about a man who can handle trouble and stress? You know, a lot of times in leadership positions, it's not all roses. You know, a lot of times there's trouble, there's distress, there's depression, there's disappointment, and it's very tedious, and there's pain in many situations. How is this guy going to handle that? Is he going to give up? Is he going to run away? 
I need a guy who's going to be there, who's going to stand up for me, who's going to go to bat for me, who's going to withstand that trouble and not just walk away and quit. That's the kind of man that we're looking for. One who refuses to compromise the doctrine or the truth. When there's persecution, when there's false teachers, when there's trouble that arises, I need a man that's not going to follow after that false doctrine, but he's going to stand true and he's going to stand firm. He's going to be the rock and he's going to be the anchor that we can depend on. And he's not going to let that false doctrine creep into the church and destroy us and split us apart, as the Bible talks about. A man that motivates people, he's a true influence and a true leader. You know, there's a lot of, we talked about good and bad managers and the last time we studied in our duties or are the qualities of, a, of an elder. And we talked a little bit about those good managers versus bad managers. You know, there's some very good bosses in the, in the secular world. There's people that I know that are very, very good leaders and very good bosses in that, but they wouldn't be a good leader in the church. You see, that's a different game. That's a different business, I guess you could say, in that way, in leading the church and following after God's will and His example. You know, what about a man who can't really, doesn't have the knowledge to counsel or to, to do a Bible study with someone? Well, that probably wouldn't be someone that I would pick as, a, as an elder or in that leadership position. One who's clear thinking, he can make decisions. He's decisive. He'll be fair in his judgment. And he won't sit back and just not make a decision, but he takes his time and he makes a good and wise and righteous decision the ability to make that fair judgment. And I need someone who'll be patient with me. I'm stupid. I mess up. I do things that are dumb. And I need someone who'll be patient with me when I mess up like that. I need someone who won't get frustrated with me. And he won't get frustrated to the point that he can't have self-discipline, that he'll lose his temper and lose his tongue and say things that he wished he wouldn't have said. He's got to have that self-control and self-discipline. A man that knows how to be a team player. He's not a loner. He's not the lone wolf. I've been there and I've tried that so many times, trying to do everything on my own. The man's going to burn out. The, church, the leadership team, we are a team. We work together as elders and deacons in trying to make everything as fertile a ground as possible for bearing the fruit of the Spirit here in this place. A man who's a worker, he labors, he's not lazy. And a man that is a Christ-like example that I can follow after and I can trust in. Let's look at a few more things. <clears throat> One who is friendly and approachable and he'll listen to, to my question or to my comment and suggestion. He'll consider that. If I don't feel like a man is gonna listen to me or consider the things that I'm bringing to him, I'm probably not going to choose him to be one of the leaders of the congregation, am I? Maybe he's not the man for the leadership position. But I also, on my own behalf, I can't expect to get my way every time. And just because he told me no, and I didn't like that answer, doesn't mean he's not qualified. So I've got to watch my own heart and my own attitude. But I'm looking for a man who will make time for me, and he will listen, he'll be concerned, and he'll follow up and follow through as we talked about earlier. Also a good manager of his home where there's limited chaos. If you've done much church work, you've been into some homes where there's a whole bunch of chaos. 
And there's just a bunch of problems everywhere you turn in the home. And that problem may be from, okay, I've just lost my job again. I've lost my 10th job. I'm between jobs. I can't find one. We've got trouble with the kids. We've got all these type of troubles in home. And I'm not saying that a man has to be rich, that a man has to be debt-free. That has nothing to do with it whatsoever. But he does have to rule his own house well, like we've talked about in the qualifications. There can't be just total chaos in his home, and he'll be a good leader and be one that we want to put in that position. The Bible describes that better than I can, of course. Loyal allegiance, one that we can count on. One that we can count on. Even after maybe I've treated this man badly, maybe I've said something that I shouldn't have said to him, I've ridiculed him in some way, he'll be like Christ, and he'll come back to me, and he'll still love me, he'll be forgiving, he'll show me grace, and he'll be loyal to me, and I can count on him. And he's not easily offended, he's tough-skinned. He's not going to hold a grudge against me, he's going to continue to love me, maybe let me calm down, and then we get back together and work out our problems and our differences. That's the type of man we need. One who's flexible. Have you known someone before in your life that just has a hard time being flexible? They planned certain things and had expectations of what they had planned, and it's this is the way I, I need it to work out, and it doesn't, and they can't or don't have the ability to readjust. They're not flexible in that way. You know, if you've made very many plans in your life, you recognize that a lot of times it don't work out the way you had it planned. Does that ruin your week? Does that ruin your month or your life? You've got to be flexible and readjust. It doesn't always happen the way you want it to. A man who's a positive and not negative, an encourager. And I'm not saying we all have things that we say negatively, but if we're around someone who's constantly negative all the time, we don't want to be around that. We want someone who's positive, someone who's encourager to us. We all have a bad day. We all say negative things, but just as an overall positive attitude and one who encourages me. One who loves and speaks the truth. He's not going to lie. He's a man of his word. I can count on what he says. I know it to be true. I know it to be based on God's word. And he's not going to tell me something that is false. He's going to tell me the truth. One who is thoughtful and considerate. One who is caring and loving. And he wants what's best for the church. He Kind of like Justin talked about on Sunday. In Philippians chapter 2, he puts others before his own self. He makes sacrifices for others. He loves others and puts them in front of his own desires and his own wants. He's giving and not covetous. A giving person. He cares about me. He's going to help me. He's going to give me of his time, of his life. The good shepherd, what did he give? He gave his life for the sheep. Christ gave his life for us. The good shepherd of the congregation will give his life for his flock. He'll lay down his life, his time, and put his effort into it, into you. And not be like Judas Iscariot. What happened with Judas? He was, he, he was the keeper of the bag. He was mad when they had uh, broken this ointment that was put on Jesus' feet because he had the bag. He wanted to sell it. And he would have that money in his bag and he could take out of it. See, we don't want someone who's covetous, but someone who's giving and caring and kind in that way. 
one who praises and thanks God. You know, I see a man who loves his family. He loves the church and he's thankful for the church. And you just tell his, uh, the enthusiasm he has for it in his life. And he loves it and he puts it first in his life. Also, something that came to mind is a man who's locally devoted. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean a guy that has come in into a congregation. I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm not trying to belittle anyone or saying they're not fit for leadership. Please don't get me wrong. But a guy who's got a plan that he's going to move in two years, well, he's not locally devoted. That's probably not someone I'm going to consider if I know that about him, that I'm going to put into a leadership-type position for that reason. And finally, let's talk about the wife for just a minute. A man's wife. She's supposed to be a virtuous woman, one who is submissive and one who is reverent, one who is a worker. You know, a man can have every quality and every qualification and be the perfect candidate for the next deacon or for the next elder, but his wife can disqualify him. If she does not hold the qualifications that are mentioned in the Scriptures because of her or that she is a slanderer or a gossip or has a terrible influence in the community, whatever it is, she disqualifies that man. A wife can disqualify her husband. So let's talk about, as we close up in conclusion tonight, you may be thinking, you know, I just, I just don't know well, people well enough. I don't know people well enough to make this judgment on how they stack up against the qualifications that we've talked about. And I think it's important, and we've seen as we've looked at these qualifications together, it's important that we know each other, isn't it? It's important that we have a good and close relationship with one another because to make this type of judgment and to make this type of choice about someone. And I believe this is a very common feeling and a very common thought. Well, I just don't know people well enough. And you need to know something about a man, obviously, to make your best um, righteous judgment about him. There's some that are new to the congregation that don't know a lot of people's, don't even know a lot of people's names. And we're not asking someone to make some blind judgment or blank, some blind choice about who they think would be a good elder or a good deacon. But I hope some of these things that we've talked about will help you in your decision-making process. And let's think about just a few more things as we close up tonight. Think about this question. Well, well I just don't know people well enough for that statement. I don't know people well enough. Well, we can always tell what we see or what we hear or the actions that we see of a certain person. Think about when we're sitting at a church dinner. Okay, it's time for, uh, to start cleaning up the dishes, start cleaning up the tables. What do you see? Well, do you see this person that's over there and he's wiping tables and he's stacking chairs and he, he's sweeping the floor and he's doing all these different activities? He's, he's looking for what he can do to help. And what about this guy that you see over against the wall on his phone and that's where you see him most of the time and he's not interacting with people much? Well, who, who are you going to pick? And I'm not trying to say that the guy that you've got to clean a table to be picked. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. That's not what we're trying to say at all. But you, I hope you see the correlation and the practical application that we're trying to put together as we see the picture of a man as we've talked about tonight. What do I see of this man? Is he willing to sacrifice his time? Is he willing to do something that he really doesn't want to do? I assure you that most guys in the room don't want to wipe a table. <laughs> they don't want to sweep a floor. 
but they're willing to do that because they know the church needs it. This guy's willing to do it because he's willing to, uh, it's a guy that we can trust to take care of that business. And that's what we want. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'd be looking for as a, as a guy that I'm going to choose. Well, what about a man that goes out of his way to, to visit with me at church? You know, I, maybe I'm new to the congregation and I, I step in and, oh, this guy is just really friendly. He seeks me out every time that I'm at church and tries to talk to me and get to know me better. This guy, maybe I was in the hospital and he's come and visited me. Maybe this guy's given me a call when I was sick for several weeks or I missed several services. He's given me a call. This guy is thinking about me. He's visiting me. He's healing me. He's doing these things and actions of the, of the deacons and elders, the qualifications that we've talked about here over this past month. He's very encouraging to me. He, I can tell that he loves his family and he loves the church and he wants what's best and he's willing to do whatever that is to, for the betterment of the church. Maybe he studied the Bible with me through a particular problem that I had or gave me, given me some great biblical advice at this time. Would this be a guy that would be easy to work with? Think about it, people that you know. You know, some people are just not very easy to work with, are they? Is this someone that I can submit to? Is this someone that would be good for the elders and deacons to be part of the team? Would it be good and easy for them to work with this particular person? And I need to be aware of my own attitude as we've talked about sometimes. Maybe I've had some type of bad encounter with this guy in the past. Maybe he said something that was a little bit hurtful to me 15 years ago and I haven't got over it yet. <laughs> I need to check my own attitude. And finally, don't be discouraged if we don't find additional leaders. You know, maybe a guy that we see needs a little more time. He needs a little more training. He needs a, uh, just a little more spiritual maturity before he can be and ready for that position. So think about these things. This process is a blessing to us, and it's a process of, of spiritual maturity. And I hope that some of the things we mentioned tonight will, have, will benefit you and bless you in some way. But we're looking for a man who is willing and wanting to do exactly what God wants him to do and be what God wants him to be. He's seeking in God's Word exactly what God's Word tells him to do, and he's trying to make himself that picture of a man that we talked about earlier today. With a humble and contrite heart, he's willing to do whatever the church needs, and he's willing to do that. So I hope some of these things have helped you in some way tonight as we've talked about them. Uh, they bless me as I've thought about some of these things, and I hope they have you. We want to offer this opportunity tonight to to um, give an invitation. If there's anything that you need, the prayers of the church, if we could serve you in any way, we invite you to come forward as we stand to sing together.